Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Cinema Lounge, where we just chill and talk about movies. I am your host, Garrett Inman, uh, and I thought I was—I thought I was gonna come up with something, but I, I didn't. I'm doing good today. How are you? <laughs> but today, uh, it's because Black Widow came out last week. Uh, Today, I figured we might as well continue our trek through the MCU since the last time I talked about an MCU movie was exactly 20 episodes ago, and it was Iron Man. So we're, we're a little behind. My goal is to try to, at the very least, make it to the Avengers by the end of the year, uh, talking about it. Uh, yeah, so today we're talking about The Incredible Hulk, which... People say is the black sheep of the MCU. Um, kind of watching it back, there's some stuff that, yes, definitely makes it feel detached from the MCU, but there's some other stuff that doesn't. So, uh, well, before we get into that, uh, just we're not going to necessarily do this week in movie news anymore. That is something I've decided to kind of can for the time being because... It is a lot of work. It requires me to constantly be working on a script and collecting news stories all week and then having to sit down, shoot, or sit down, write a script, shoot it, and then edit it all in one day. That takes about eight, nine hours out of my day to do. Uh, and it is very stressful. And it is something that uh, with all the other stuff I have going on, I am just not really able to do. Uh, for, for right now so instead of doing the um, not highly edited because I'm not going to toot my own horn and say like oh yeah this was this was peak content or whatever but we're going to kind of trash the the pre-recorded edited stuff where I stand in front of a green screen find a location or whatever uh, instead we're I'm just going to collect a couple of headlines that I took notice of uh, stuff that I was just like, that's interesting. I could probably talk about it. And we're just going to pull it down. And I'm just going to call it the weekly headlines for right now. Uh, we'll see where this goes in the future. But yeah, so first we'll do the weekly headlines. Then we'll talk about The Incredible Hulk. And because Black Widow came out uh, this past weekend, or I guess when this is released, the weekend before the one we just came off of, uh... I decided why not do a review of it. The Incredible Hulk's kind of light in content, and this is a relatively big release. This is like our first huge blockbuster release since theaters have opened up. So I might as well do a review of it, kind of talk about what I thought of it. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I didn't come away with a hugely positive <laughs> uh, reaction to it, but yeah. We'll talk about that, but first, let's just kind of get into the weekly headlines. Uh, let me pull that up. I got quote-unquote graphics. They're just images, but they'll, they'll serve our purpose well. So first, uh, if, you're watching, if you're watching the video, you see a Loki picture. If you're not, there's a Loki picture on screen. But Loki got uh, renewed for a season two, which is the first out of all these Disney Plus Marvel shows. Uh... WandaVision, WandaVision uh, was a miniseries 
and I don't think they're planning on doing a season two, and then Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think, was planned to just be a miniseries. I think this one was two, but this one... Loki has just been incredibly popular. Uh, so, they D Disney went ahead and just said, F it, let's give it a season two, although I think the director of the first season isn't going to come back for a season two because she planned only for a one-season show, and she doesn't really want to get tied down, I guess. So, props props to her, all, all the best to her, but I... <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've heard people really like it. People are saying this is like the best out of the shows so far. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen any of them. Part of it is because I'm just like, I'm I'm still kind of very lukewarm on the MCU at this point, and I, I'm I'm kind of just tied into the movies for now. Also, I tried to log into Disney Plus this morning, and I think I've lost access to my account. So. <laughs> There's that as well, so that's fun. Uh, so uh, for Loki fans, I, I bet y'all are excited, but just know that the director is not coming back, so this might have a slightly different look and, and feel to it. Uh, next, I don't know if you guys had heard about this, but this was something that I was looking forward to. Uh, Nick Cage was, was, was going to be playing Joe Exotic for an Amazon Prime show about Joe Exotic. And if this is the first time you're hearing about it, congratulations, you're probably also very excited. Now I'm going to crush your dreams because it got canceled. <laughs> they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. They uh, said, yeah, the, the time has passed and I don't really blame them because Tiger King was very much a novelty of its time. It blew up because everyone was, was forced to stay at home or nothing else was happening so they're like f it let's watch tiger king and while i blew up and people were scrambling for an adaptation it was popular it was profitable and now it's been over a year since the show's come out and <laughs> it's probably just not worth pursuing it anymore because it i don't even think it entered production or anything so probably not worth it <laughs> It, it wouldn't get the amount of clicks or the views that Tiger King got. Next, we got our first look at Calendar Man in uh, the new Suicide Squad movie, which is coming out in, uh, I think, almost exactly a month. <laughs> uh, so, Sean Gunn will be playing him. He's also playing a character called Weasel, who will show up in the movie. Um, he looks good. He's, he's kind of a scrawny version of Calendar Man. Uh, he's got the, I think it's the long Halloween look to him where he's just a bald dude with, uh, the months tattooed on his forehead or all around his head. And he looks good. I like it. I think Sean Gunn might do a good job. The guy standing next to him with the burnt face and crap, uh, did like five seconds of digging, but... I think that guy is going to be Double Down, who is a Flash villain. Um, if you watched the show Arrow, Double Down appeared in, I think, season four for a couple of episodes. Um, and so that is interesting. I don't know how prominent these two characters are going to be because they have shown up in zero advertising. Uh, they don't even have character posters for themselves. So these might be 
cannon fodder characters that they kill off like immediately or these might just be cameo appearances where the characters just kind of show up and basically open themselves up for the possibility of coming back in future installments of whatever DC's doing nowadays uh so we'll just have to kind of wait and see but seeing as how there's no character posters for them this might be a slipknot situation where they're just kind of introduced and then killed off unceremoniously and you can kind of just tell they're the cannon fodder that's going to die immediately or these are just going to be characters that show up in a uh cameo appearance in the picture they're wearing uh prison uniforms so they're not necessarily out in the field doing stuff so for the for all we know these guys might be backup reserves or they're kind of the next wave of like the suicide squad who knows um but it is interesting it seems like james gunn is pulling various characters to pull this uh movie together uh and yeah, I am very excited about it. I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 I liked, but James Gunn seems to have uh, this ability to just pull all these weird, wacky characters from comic books and make a really good ensemble cast out of them. So, can't wait to see what he does with it. Next, we have... A teaser trailer for Pixar's, I think, next movie. I think it's going to be the next movie Pixar releases. Uh, this will be the first Pixar movie that will be going to theaters. Luca and Soul went straight to Disney+, Plus, which is unfortunate because Pixar thrives on visuals. And if you're not going to put it in theaters, that's kind of a disservice to uh, the company. But this movie is called Turning Red. It is about this girl uh, who turns into a red pan, a giant red panda, a I guess a were red panda, <laughs> maybe. Uh, whenever she gets stressed, um, I'm a little. I don't know how to feel about this because I don't know if it's just because I've gotten so used to what. Pixar has usually does or if I've just gotten used to certain animation styles but like Luca and then now this I'm just not excited about how the movie looks uh Soul looked amazing I really liked uh just the realistic environments that the characters lived in and then whenever they went to the soul world the environments the uh, character designs just felt so unique, so lively. And then when you go to Luca, Luca just looks like... I wouldn't say it looks bad, but Luca... Like, the visual styling looked like kind of a, old Italian cartoons, I guess. But 3D animated, which which is fine. It looked good for what it was going for, but it just feels like a step back from what we know Pixar is capable of and I've never been a huge fan of the design for humans Pixar's kind of gone with for the past few movies where they just look unnatural might not be the right word but they just don't look right to me uh it looks kind of just like they're egg people um they don't really look just they, they they don't really have the look of oh wow that that's a good character <laughs> design you know 
I mean, even going back to The Incredibles or The Incredibles 2, at the very least, those characters look unique. Their proportions were unique. Their their facial designs were unique. But now it's just like, oh, that's just a Pixar character. It's the it's kind of the same complaint I guess people have with uh, current cartoons with the Cal Art style, where they have the uh, here. Let me go back to me real quick since I'm rambling. But where they have just the same facial structure of kind of the bean looking head, big eyes, big mouth, barely if any nose. Uh, and that's kind of the same vibe I'm getting from here. Not necessarily Cal Arts, but they, every Pixar movie, the character designs, especially for the humans, have just started looking the same and not really fun or unique uh, like The Incredibles or, I mean, even going back to Brave, the Brave character designs, say what you will about Brave, I don't think it was a great movie, definitely bottom tier uh, Pixar, but at the very least the characters looked like they belonged in the movie, they looked like uh, they were unique, you could look at them and say, yeah, that's uh, so that that's Merida, or that's the witch lady from Brave. You can at the very least look at them and recognize them. I think the character designs now, just like, I mean, going back to this, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Going back to this, let me get a better picture up. This, I, and I don't know how many of you guys grew up in the church or whatever, but when, when I went to church as a kid, we had vacation Bible school, the summer Bible camp for kids where we just kind of hung out and had fun. Uh, certain vacation Bible school people or groups would do these characters and it would be like oh today uh we're, we have larry the lizard and larry the lizard's gonna teach you how to be honest or whatever something like that that's what this character looks like that's what this red panda design looks like it looks like a vbs mascot <laughs> it not not a pixar character like the fur the fur looks good like you can see the individual well, maybe not the individual, but I'm sure they took the time to anim animate it. But you have, like, the wispy hair. You can tell, like, time and effort was put into the fur and how that works. Brilliant. I just don't like how you have, like, the Pixar, per Pixar person eyes to it. And kind of, like, it just looks like a Pixar person with a bunch of fur. Um, So I, I, I don't know how I feel about this this movie, to be honest. I... I'm not yet ready to say Pixar has gone downhill because, I mean, Soul last year was my favorite movie of the year. It was just the time in which it came out, uh, it, the lessons about just enjoying life and, and fully experiencing it partially influenced me making this podcast. Partially. The other part was some other personal stuff, but... That movie was really good, a movie that stuck to me so closely. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm, you know, that that was two movies ago for Pixar. I thought Luca was very mid-tier. Pixar, it was okay. It's, it really just didn't do it for me. Like I'm, I, with Pixar, I want like big emotional journeys, character development. Uh, and Luca was just more of a movie that you kind of put on in the background for me and just kind of chill with. And people liked it for for that. For me, 
it just didn't feel good for a Pixar movie to say, oh yeah, it's a good movie to put on in the background and just kind of do stuff while it's on. I, for me, I want Pixar to just be more in-depth in terms of emotional... I've seen some people say, oh, well, it's Pixar getting back to its roots. I, I, I wouldn't agree with that. And I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent about Luca and maybe whenever I talk about Luca because uh, I, I guess I have some things to say about it. But I guess, long story short, Luca was just not... It didn't do it for me. Um, and... From this trailer, I'm a little worried <laughs> that this might also not do it for me. But I'll still go see it in theaters. I still, I'm a Pixar person. I love Pixar. Um, so, you know, ever since I think Finding Nemo, I've gone and saw, I've gone and seen a Pixar movie uh, on release date or at the very least release weekend. Uh, so I, I've been very, very Pixar heavy stand and it's going to take a lot. It's going to take like three cars, two in a row <laughs> to really make me go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know about Pixar anymore, man. <laughs> uh, last, the last story, the last headline that I thought was big because I didn't know this thing existed, but John Wick is getting a spinoff prequel series. Um, Called the Continental, it will focus on Winston, who is the guy in charge of the Continental in the movie, uh, in the John Wick movies, who's played by Ian McShane, who's on the right. If you're looking on this, if you're watching the video, um, it will be about him as a young guy, young assassin, kind of working his way up in the world. I'm kind of excited about this. Uh, the guy on the left is Albert Hughes, who will be directing the. I think it's like a five, six, seven, eight miniseries, maybe. Um, but I, I'm excited about it just because John Wick is just one of those action movies that has a surprising amount of lore to it. <laughs> uh, that so much so that there are movies that are coming out now that are trying to mimic the style of John Wick, are trying to be the next John Wick with uh, these elaborate assassin systems or hitman hitman systems and all this kind of stuff. John Wick still does it the best, I think. And this uh, prequel series, I think, will help add context to who Winston is because in the three movies we have so far, John Wick is the focus. Uh, everything he's doing, it's all about him and his character. And I think this show will help shed light on who Winston is. Because we know Winston's kind of like this weaselly type character. If you guys have seen Invincible or have read the comics, he's kind of like a Cecil type character, right? Someone who, uh, maybe not Cecil exactly, but he has his own goal. And he's going to do anything it takes to get to that goal, regardless of who he hurts. It's all about the goal. It's all about the mission. Uh... It might, you know what, in retrospect, maybe not Cecil exactly, because Cecil's all about protecting the world at no matter the cost. Winston seems to be more in it for his own good. He's a bit weaselly. Uh, he wants power, he wants position, uh, and he wants to hold on to it. And if he has to betray a friend to do that, then that's the way it's going to be. He's, he's loyal to a point to his friends. Um, 
So I think this show will be good. I think it will be interesting. Uh, I haven't seen anything from Albert Hughes. He did, uh, he directed the book of Eli, which I hear is good. <laughs> I've been wanting to see it. Um, so I'm excited for this. Uh, yeah, I, it, it, it sounds like it's going to be fun. It's going to be good. I mean, I'm, I'm down for anything John Wick, to be honest, because it is, it's got such just rich, it's got a rich world. They do a really good job with world building and making this feel like a, a lived-in environment. So, excited for that. Uh, we're about 20, <laughs> we're about 20, 21 minutes into this, so might as well jump into the main topic of what, well, one of the two main topics we're talking about this week. First off, The Incredible Hulk. I just finished watching it maybe an hour ago. How I usually, I don't know if I, I think I've talked about this once or twice, but how I usually do these podcasts is I don't really decide what I'm going to talk about until f I record these on Saturday. So I don't really decide until it's Thursday or Friday. And then uh, Saturday morning, I watch it and then I sit down and immediately record it. And usually that is just to give me enough time for the rest of the day to sit down Maybe go over it, edit it a little bit, or whatever, export it. Uh, I uh, try to. I'm trying like this process to to make the audio sound of it better. So I do that as well now. Um, so just give me time to do that, and then I can have the evening off to eat dinner, hang out, watch TV, um, binge watch, <laughs> binge watch the TV shows I'm watching, hang out with friends, whatever. Um, so. I think I decided on Incredible Hulk, though. I think I decided, like, maybe last Sunday. Uh, basically, we went... So I went on a vacation uh, to Branson. Branson has this really good IMAX screen. And I was like... I wasn't planning on going to see Black Widow opening weekend. But just so happened we were there opening weekend for Black Widow. And I said... Well, we might as well go see it on the IMAX. If we're going to go see a Marvel movie, you might as well go see it on the IMAX. You're in Branson. You might as well take advantage of it. Because here, around here, the closest IMAX screen is maybe 30, 30, 45 minutes away from here. And it's not great. It's not like Branson IMAX. So we always, I always try to take advantage of the Branson IMAX whenever we're on vacation there. So I went and saw Black Widow and I said... You know what? That reminds me. <clears throat> Excuse me. That reminds me. I haven't talked about the MCU in a hot second. Because <laughs> my, my goal is like every year I want to go through at least one phase of the MCU. So this year I want to get through phase one. Next year phase two, phase three. And hopefully, what, 2023, 2024, I get through phase four uh, and get caught up with that. I think 2024 should be, 2023, 2024 should be when phase four is starting to wrap up. So hopefully get caught up by then. Uh, maybe if I fast track it, because with all the Marvel movies coming out, maybe maybe fast tracking that and just trying to get as many in as possible. But I also want to talk about these MCU movies with a guest. Fortunately, it didn't work out this time, and I don't really mind because The Incredible Hulk, like I said at the beginning of the show, it is called the black sheep of the MCU. It is... <laughs> it is... The movie where, and if you look at the entire scope or the entire linear MCU release date, 
you either kind of forget it exists or you just kind of skip over it. Like, legitimately, I was talking to Brock. Brock and I wanted to talk about the next MCU movie together, but instead we watched, we watched Tenet and wanted to talk about that. But I said, yeah, let's let's talk about Iron Man 2. And he goes, well, no, The Incredible Hulk <laughs> first. And I was like, oh, yeah, that movie came out. Um, So I kind of forgot it existed as well. Uh, Rewatching it, though. I, I, I kind of liked it. I'm not going to lie. I Watching it for the first time around two, two three years ago was like, it was, it was okay. You know, I, I was like, yeah, it's, it's all right. But this time around, I don't know. I, I kind of vibed with it. And I'll tell you why. It's not great. It's definitely not top 10 Marvel. It's still bottom 10. I moved it up a little bit in my ranking. And when... I get all caught up. I'll probably do my ranking of in, uh, do an episode ranking all the MCU movies because that's kind of what I want to get to. Um, because I haven't, I haven't like the Hulk. I haven't watched the Hulk in a hot second. Iron Man. Uh, besides when Brock and I talked about it, the first time, I, the last time I had watched it was when I was like ten years old, eleven years old. Uh, I don't revisit movies a lot, and part of doing this podcast is helping me revisit movies I, I've never. I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> so, Incredible Hulk, I haven't seen in a hot second. Uh, most of the Phase 1 movies, besides the Avengers, I haven't watched in at least five years. So, revisiting it kind of refreshes my memory, helps me kind of get a clear focus on why or why not, or why I like it or why I don't. Um, and the Incredible Hulk, I came away going... It wasn't that bad. Yes, it was slow. Yes, the dialogue, the writing for the dialogue was cringy sometimes. And sometimes just straight up bad. Uh, a line that is coming back to my mind. I was going to write notes. I forgot. <laughs> I have like a show notes. So it's kind of helping me go through what I want to talk about. For The Incredible Hulk, I just have talk about The Incredible Hulk. So a line that comes to my mind is... Um, when Emil Blonsky is holding Samuel Stearns at gunpoint, and he's saying, "Oh, I want, I want what he has. Uh, I want uh, Banner's Banner's powers," and and Stearns is like, "Well, I see you already have something, and I don't really want to do that because the combination of what you have and his blood, it could create an abomination," <laughs> and. I think the way I described it made it sound smoother because in the movie it just sounded so awkward just saying it would be an abomination. Like, there are so many other words you could have used instead of abomination there. Oh, well, mix, you know, those two things mixed together could create something really bad, something catastrophic, instead of just, it would create an abomination. <laughs> because... It doesn't really work for the context. So stuff like that where it's like... They're really just trying to force some, some lines in. Um, besides that, I really enjoyed the Hulk stuff. The CGI didn't age particularly well, but... I'm still kind of a fan of this Hulk design over what we have now. Over Ruffalo Hulk. Because Ruffalo Hulk just kind of looks like... 
Mark Ruffalo if he injected a butt ton of steroids and just turned green. Um, and while I've gotten used to it because it's been almost 10 years since the Avengers, since Ruffalo Hulk first showed up, so it's kind of something you get used to. Re going back to this movie, I'm like, this this Hulk design's kind of better. I like the glowing green eyes. I kind of like the longer black hair. It makes him look more feral, and I kind of like feral Hulk rather than kind of what we've gone with with Hulk now in the MCU, where he's gradually gotten more and more sophisticated, I suppose, more and more intelligent. I like Hulk being a feral monster that Bruce is trying to control rather than uh, basically Ragnarok forward where Hulk is just kind of growing up and by the time we get to Endgame, he's just Hulk banner. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of that type. I, I like more the, the dichotomy between really smart, timid, uh, Bruce Banner, who's all brains, no brawn, and then Hulk, who's this feral monster who could probably tear the planet in half if you wanted to. Uh, I love that dichotomy. I love that kind of internal conflict that creates an external conflict. Um, so I, I think that works a lot better. I prefer, I think a lot of people say this, but so this might not be a hot take, but I prefer Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. Norton just brings a different energy. Ruffalo's just kind of awkward, awkward nerd guy a little bit, <laughs> while Edward Norton is just perfect for the type of Bruce Banner I think that at least this movie was going for, which was a, you know, scrawny scientist guy who's really smart, but he has this darker edge to him, which manifests itself in the Hulk. And Edward Norton is perfect for that. I mean, if you watch Fight Club, Fight Club, uh, oh, what's the character he plays in that? Uh, the character he plays in Fight Club is basically just Bruce Banner, <laughs> and then Tyler Durden in, the, in that is his Hulk. Also, spoilers for Fight Club, but it's been over over my lifetime, so over 20 years. If you haven't seen Fight Club yet and haven't somehow gotten it spoiled for you, congratulations, and I'm sorry I have to be the first to spoil it for you, but, you know, Tyler Durden is is the Hulk in that movie, so I think Edward Norton was a great great cast uh, for that. I think the rest of the cast was really well cast. Uh, Betsy Ross is Liv Taylor. I think she does a good job in her role, even though probably the least interesting love interest in the MCU. <laughs> uh, I didn't really care about her because most of it was just uh, fawning over Bruce and just chasing Bruce down. And I get that like she was in love with him and he was became a monster and ran off. So when he first shows up, of course, you're going to be flabbergasted. But then you just abandon who I'm assuming is your now husband, Ty Burrell. <laughs> And just run off and leave Ty Burrell to, I don't know, start a modern family, go, go, go join Modern Family. <laughs> uh, it, that, that was a little strange. Also, Ty Burrell just vanishes from the movie. He's, he's introduced as kind of a bigger role. And then he just is in two more scenes after that. And then just goes, 
yeah, F it, ABC called. They they want me to star in their show. I'm going to do, excuse me, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> so, it, you know, there, there's still, you still have those issues, but I think William Hurt was great for Thaddeus Ross as kind of this hardline uh, general guy. I think that worked really well. Um, I think Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky works. Uh, Tim Roth is a great actor, and... I think he works well for the role he's given. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson, I think is his name. I think he did a good job. He's he's a pretty solid actor as well. Uh, but I think the main thing I want to talk about is it th- this status uh, the Incredible Hulk has as the black sheep of the MCU, the movie that doesn't belong. And I, I see I see why it's labeled that. Obviously, Edward Norton as Bruce Banner never comes back. Mark Ruffalo uh, takes his place the next time Bruce Banner shows up as the Hulk. The Hulk is even like designed different, like I said. And Betsy Ross is, ne- is not even like she doesn't come back. She's just never mentioned again. I understand her not coming back because she, you know, basically said flip the bird to her father and i i think it's obvious they're kind of going to be estranged at this point but the fact that she's never mentioned by her father or the man she loves and the man who loved her (laughs) uh is just strange to me uh but besides that i mean you have Thaddeus Ross, he has been in Civil War, he shows up in Black Widow, so he's obviously a big presence in the MCU, and I think they're going to start using him even more, and I think with each installment to the MCU, I think the Incredible Hulk is going to gain more and more, not prominence, but more importance, because uh, as I said a few weeks back, the Abomination shows up in the Shang-Chi trailer, and... I think they've confirmed Tim Roth is going to be playing Abomination again. So, he's going to be in Shang-Chi just for a minute. And after watching this movie, it completely makes sense why he's in that situation. I'll get to that in a second. But he's also going to be in the She-Hulk show. Tim Roth, I think, is going to be in that show. So, Abomination is coming back in a recurring role. Thaddeus Ross already has a recurring role. And I think they're building up, uh, from what I've heard from the Disney Plus shows... I think their goal is to create a Thunderbolts project at some point, and that is, I think, usually headed up by Thaddeus Ross, uh, who also becomes the Red Hulk in the comics, who, despite the very simplistic premise, uh, is one of the, one of my favorite character designs, (laughs) where it's basically just, we're gonna take Hulk, make him red, and he just has, like, a little bit of projectile powers, and a lot of the times he's drawn where he has these flames coming off of him, and it just looks so freaking cool. Uh, so I can't wait for that. But you have that. So I don't think the Incredible Hulk is going to be a black sheep for much longer. Like, it still stands out a little bit in retrospect, but it still ties in a lot to the MCU. I mean, even... If you look at uh, Emil Blonsky's origin stories, uh, first off, before I guess I get into him, because I I want to talk about them in general, I think the antagonists in this movie are actually pretty solid. Uh, First off, you got Ross, who is just, 
kind of your stereotypical uh, hard lines, general. Um, and I think he works... Whoops, sorry, I just bumped my desk. I think he works for the role he has, right? He's supposed to be just the general guy who's coming after Hulk, but he has a grudge against Bruce because Bruce was also engaged, maybe even married to his daughter. So there's a bit of a personal grudge there. And it makes his dynamic with Bruce a lot more personal. His dynamic with Betsy a lot more personal. So there's some personal stakes to this. Um, the way he behaves or the way he treats Bruce changes because of that dynamic. Um, and then you have Emil Blonsky uh, who becomes the Abomination. You kind of have the stages in which he becomes the Abomination, which I think is really cool the way they do that. Uh, where first he's just kind of like top of his field, uh, British operative. And I, I kind of find it funny. He was born in Russia, grew up in Britain, so basically Tim Roth can keep doing his British accent. <laughs> Pretty much. They're like, yeah, Tim tried to do the Russian accent. He's like, does it really poorly? They go, well, just say he was, he, he was raised in Britain. <laughs> but so he comes in top of his like top of the line uh, operative. He goes after Bruce. And once he sees Bruce as the Hulk, he's like, oh, crap, there's someone out there who's better than me. I think I think his whole motivation is just I want to be the best I possibly can. He wants to be the best like no one ever was. <laughs> uh, kudos to you if you get that reference, which I think a lot of people will, but still. He wants to be the very best like no one ever was. Um, so when he meets someone like the Hulk, who has just this ungodly power to him, he wants that. He wants some semblance of that. If only, like, not even to just take him down in the, the name of the law, but just to know he can be better than him. So... That's why he goes to Ross and says, I want to be a part of this team that, that's going after Hulk. So he joins the team. He does the super... Uh, I, I think it's express, expressly stated, or I, it might have been what I inferred, but they inject him with the super soldier serum that Captain America used, a movie that has not come out yet at this point. Uh, they inject him with a very rudimentary super soldier serum that gradually makes him sicker and sicker and sicker uh so the first stage he's combat he's competing well uh with the hulk he almost beats him but ultimately loses and then hulk kicks him into a tree uh which naturally that would piss some people off he recovers nicely from it and says i need to be better i need to be able to beat this guy so he gets another treatment which makes him sick so he's strong now but you see him in the helicopter where they're like hey you all right man and he's just like sweating, red eyes, like he is not feeling good at all. So when they go to confront Samuel Stearns, that's kind of the last straw of this guy has reserves of the Hulk's blood. So I can become the Hulk now. I can compete with this guy. But now I'm also like really sick. I feel awful. So at the very least, this will make me feel better. So he knocks, I, he knocks out or kills his commanding officer and forces Samuel Stearns to give him the injection, he becomes the abomination, now he's top of the world, feeling great, uh, nothing can beat me, so he just goes on a freaking, like, maybe not a rampage, but just, like, a celebratory, heck yeah, I can, who wants to take me type mentality, he loves fighting, 
He loves proving that he can beat whomever, uh, which I think is a nice character uh, motivation. It's not personal. It's not like super deep. He's not on the level of like Thanos or Loki in terms of character arcs and motivation, but at the very least, you have the driving motivation, something that that's making him go, this is what I want. This is why I'm going after the Hulk. Um, so I think for, for his role in this movie, he works good. He works fine. I think he's on the level of someone like Obadiah Stane, to be honest. Obadiah Stane is one, another character who's kind of basic and simple, but at the very least, A, you have Jeff Bridges, but also there is something motivating him that isn't just, I'm evil. <laughs> uh, so that works. And then, like I said, he pops up in the Shang-Chi trailer uh, in the fight ring. And watching this movie again where he's constantly saying, who wants to take me? Is that all you got? If someone put up a real fight. It's clear that this dude revels in his abilities, in his powers, and he just wants to prove he can beat whoever he can. So him popping up in the Shang-Chi trailer, either he escaped prison or something, because it, it's it been a hot second since he's been in the MCU. It's been like 12 years. So he's he's been out of commission for a hot second. Well, actually, in canon, it's probably been more like 15, 16, 17 years. So this dude has, has been out of the limelight for a while, so it's completely feasible he either broke out or escaped or they let him out on parole or whatever but now he's in a fight ring uh, against Wong which I think was confirmed that that was Wong uh so this guy was in the fighting ring because he loves to fight that's what he does he just revels in the fight in the struggle in the winning and I think that makes for a solid character not like a S tier villains but like in terms of especially early MCU, but just in MCU in general, that makes him better than at least half. <laughs> that makes him better than half of the antagonist in the MCU, uh, which is saying something. I, I, not saying something, but I think that should count towards this movie's favor that it does have two antagonists that don't just absolutely suck. <laughs> They're not like Malekith or... Uh, I don't know, like Dormammu or someone like that, where it's like just characters who either provide just one-off jokes or just don't have any emotional backstory, no backstory whatsoever, no origin, no emoting <laughs> in Malekith's case. But Abomination works and serves his role well. Thaddeus Ross works and serves his role well. And I think in total, this movie just works in so... And does its role well. <laughs> That's really all I can say about it. Um, I think it is a little overhated, uh, and I think it, most of it is because it's just not hardlined MCU stuff. It doesn't have uh, the witty banter, the the uh, fun jokes, the bright colors. This is a very grim, grimy looking movie, and I think for that. It does its job and serves its role well. And I, I appreciate it for that. I'm someone who encourages movies in the MCU to feel different. <laughs> so I, watching this movie back again, it's not great. I like It's still very, in terms of movie standards, 
very okay. And in terms of MCU, it's still bottom tier MCU. But at the very least, stylistically, the feel, the look, the the characters feel different than the MCU, and it makes it stand out more to me. Uh, the the movies that feel different are the ones that are going to get more attention from me. Thor Ragnarok is one. I love the style. I love the way the colors are integrated. The Jack Kirby inspired look to everything feels so different from the rest of the MCU, and I appreciate that. That's why I'm. That's why I'm more excited for the DC stuff because DC is encouraging different, is encouraging artistic vision. Even though I haven't been excited for, or I, I haven't liked a DC movie in a while, <laughs> uh, but you know, I I'm still gonna look forward more to stuff like Birds of Prey or Zack Snyder's Justice League stuff that will either range from eh, it's solid to. Eh. At the very least, it, it has that artistic vision. I'm looking forward to the Suicide Squad. I'm looking forward to Shazam 2 more than I am some of the Marvel projects because Marvel is just feeling more the same now. It just feels like, oh, yeah, it's another Marvel movie. Uh, so going back, especially watching Phase 1, I think Phase 1, yeah, sure, tonally feels the most separated but I have a soft spot for a lot of the Phase 1 movies because you just look at it and you know what movie you're watching. Instead of just going, oh, it's another MC movie. Iron Man has the kind of gritty, it feels real. Like, you can tangibly touch the Iron Man suit, which you kind of lose the more movies you get into it. Uh, Hulk feels grimy. It's more of a thriller. Uh, Thor feels like a Shakespearean play with these grand sweeping shots and bright gold coloring uh shoot what what else was there i mean the avengers yeah it looks cheesy it looks it looks a little corny and it feels like a buffy the vampire slayer episode but that's kind of the charm of it it feels like it's got it's pulling into the corny roots the campy roots and it makes it fun uh you know, that, that's the type of Marvel I like. That's the type of MCU stuff I like. That's why I have a soft spot for Ant-Man. Yeah, it, it feels stylistically more in line with the MCU, but it's a heist movie. It's small scale. It's not this big, part of the big overarching plot. You know, I, it, that's the kind of stuff I like with the MCU is a bit smaller scale. In large part, I like the more smaller scale stuff that feels stylistically and... and narratively separate from the MCU, even though that's the exact opposite of what a lot of people like. Um, and I guess the last thing I want to talk about, I really enjoyed the, the final climactic fight between Abomination and Hulk, where Abomination is full Abomination, and it's it's effectively just a street brawl between two giant monsters, <laughs> and I freaking loved it. Uh, that it, Once again, the CGI wasn't that great, but I freaking... Love some of the moments in that where Abomination's hanging from a helicopter and just punching Hulk. Or Hulk picks up a freaking police car, splits it in half, and uses it as brass knuckles to just punch <laughs> Abomination. Uh, or where it's just a straight-up just punch fest. They're, like, holding each other up against the walls. And it's just scrappy. It's It, it feels real, even though it looks fake. <laughs> Abomination, like, grabs... 
these two pieces of cement uh, attached to chains and using it as a melee weapon to add some range to his attacks. Uh, It just feels fun. It feels fun. Entertaining. Uh, Samuel Stearns. That's another thing. Samuel Stearns never comes back in the MCU, which also makes this movie feel more black sheepish, uh, which sucks because A, Tim Blake Nelson, great actor. B, Samuel Stearns is a freaking great character. Not in the movie. The movie he's barely used. But in terms of the concept and, and, and who he is in the comics, uh, this dude is an Avengers-level threat. <laughs> he has popped up and has done... He has been, like, an enemy of the Avengers. Uh, in the comics and in TV shows and stuff, he shows up as a character called the Leader. And the Leader is one of, if not the most intelligent characters in the Marvel Universe. Uh, he can execute these plans that just have these global scales and, like, the Avengers struggle to stop them. Uh, I haven't read a lot of Hulk comics. If at all. <laughs> but... A lot of my hype for the leader is from the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon. Uh, if you watch the two-parter Gamma World, this dude orchestrates this worldwide freaking conquest where he basically is going to turn cover the Earth with gamma radiation and turn people into to effectively a bunch of hulks and abominations and leaders and just create like a gamma utopia using all of these villains and like he orchestrates this whole thing and the Avengers can't stop it. Uh, it's up to the Hulk and uh, Doc Samson and people who, who have radiation powers to, to try to come in and counteract it. And that is the type of threat this dude is. And the fact that they haven't used him at all is a little disappointing because he has so much potential. I know he was in a, sp- a, a tie-in comic where Natasha uh, Romanov, Black Widow, comes in and kind of bonks him on the head and takes him into custody. But still, this dude has the potential to be, like, a great threat. A, a worldwide global threat, and they're not using him. If any, if anything, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Age of Ultron. I love Ultron in the movie. I think James Spader did a great job. But honestly, looking back at it, I think it would have served them better to use the leader because they did have that kind of set up and use the leader and have him kind of create a rudimentary primitive version of the masters of evil or something like that, or do the gamma world story, something to that extent to where there feels like there's a payoff to some of the smaller plot lines being set up throughout phase one and two. That's just my opinion. Uh, it would have been, it would have been a lot more fun. It would have been a lot there would have been a lot more payoff to that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a solid movie. Um, still bottom tier Marvel. There's very few Marvel movies I hate, but I am going to say this after watching Black Widow and then after watching this, I might do something that's a little controversial. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I think I like the Incredible Hulk more than Black Widow. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, and maybe another watch through a Black Widow will change my opinion, but watching it in theaters and just kind of coming out of it, and we're going to trans- transition. Hulk, 6 out of 10. Like, it, it, strong 6 out of 10, but a 6 out of 10 nonetheless. Uh, Black Widow, when saw it in theaters, and it was not great. <laughs> and 
depending on who you ask, it's either one of the best MCU movies or one of the worst. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of people in between of just going, eh, it's okay. It's all right. It's people going, if you look at, I guess, the people I follow on, like, Letterboxd, there is such a range to it. I've seen nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, and mate, no, not a two, three out of tens. Like it has been all across the board of either it's really good, it's okay, or it's bad. <laughs> and I kind of land in the middle of it, and I just think it's it's okay. Like there's fun to be had. Excuse me. Also, I don't know what it is about doing these by myself, but I this crap happens and if you didn't hear that that that's good <laughs> but I, I get a little i don't know stuff happens in my area right here <laughs> but black widow is okay it's not perfect it's not awful um there there's some decent action scenes i think the Scene on the bridge where Natasha fights Taskmaster is phenomenal. I think that perfectly utilizes Taskmaster's abilities uh, in a way that, that feels unique. My only issue I had with it, and my issue with Taskmaster in general, is that I don't. They did that character dirty. Um, also, I need to put make a spoiler graphic. Spoiler warning for Black Widow. I'm getting into all the nitty-gritty. Or at the very least, I'm 53 minutes into this, so some of the nitty-gritty. <laughs> but I guess since I already brought Taskmaster up, they did my boy Taskmaster dirty. Like, like just the dirtiest. They they disrespected my mans. Uh, because in the comics and in, in various in, in iterations, this dude is like, has the potential to be an Avengers level threat. He is someone who just has photographic memory. Uh, he can remember how someone fights, fighting styles just by looking at it and perfectly mimic it. He uh, train. He's someone who trains a lot of uh, villains how to fight, how to combat superheroes. Um, I think he has this whole organization, and it would have been a lot cooler if he was the main antagonist. Tony Masters was the main antagonist running the red room that would have been so much better than what what, what we went in uh but taskmaster in this movie first off the reveal of who it is i kind of called it i for the first hour of the movie i was convinced it was rachel wise I, because i went in and the only thing i'd heard about it i knew that they had ra or gender swapped uh taskmaster so I was like, okay, because before I heard about that, I was like, the the arms dealer guy might might be it because there's no purpose for him being in this movie. That has to be the purpose he serves, and I think that was what most people when he was cast. Most people were going, that's going to be Tony Masters. Uh, turns out not. When I heard gender swapped, I said, okay, it's Rachel Weisz. Then halfway through the movie, when they go and visit her and they have the sit down, I said, I don't think it's her. And when uh, when Rachel Wise turns on her family, I go, I, I I went and saw it with a buddy, and I lean over to him and I said, I bet Taskmaster's the dude's daughter. <laughs> I don't even remember. I, I think I wrote it down. I think it's Drakeoff. I don't know. I called him Dragoff for most of the movie, <laughs> but I was like, I bet it's his daughter. 
and it is it it was they took off the mask he's like oh you want to see my daughter takes off the mask or whatever and i go yep that that's about it uh very disappointing because a i don't think the twist works well uh because it's just kind of a plot line like i guess i appreciate they take the plot line of him kill of her killing dracov dracov's daughter uh, that was mentioned by Loki in the Avengers and, and kind of making that a pivotal plot point. But the way it was done was just a little sloppy, in my opinion, a little lazy, and it doesn't really add much to the narrative. It adds more to the themes that they were going for, and I think their main focus was the themes that were related to kind of... I've heard different takes from it. I've heard... Like, the people promoting it, uh, the producers and say, stuff saying that this is Marvel's Me Too movie. And I guess you could see it if you see Drake off as, like, a Harvey Weinstein-type uh, character. But, like, Brock uh, said that he felt it was more uh, commentary on the sex trade. For me, I got more of a uh, abusive relationship-type thing. So, it it's I guess it's different, but all in all, it's still like the theming of the theming of really bad relationships between women and men <laughs> where you have domineering men who want to control women uh and that was the theme they wanted to focus on so they were just going to try to fit anything through a freaking straw to try to fit that theme rather than focusing on the narrative in my opinion theme's good it's good to have really good and solid themes, but if your story sucks, then I don't care what theme you're trying to present because I'm I'm tapped out. Uh, and so that reveal was disappointing. I was like, yep, yeah, I called it. Also, the actor or actress Olga... I should have written this down because her last name's super long. Olga is a fantastic actress. She has led movies... She had a movie earlier this year called Sentinel. It was a French movie. It was bad. But she did a good job in it. <laughs> she's been in Seven Psychopaths. Uh, she's been in a James Bond movie. And she excelled there as one of the best Bond girls that I've seen. Uh, and it was disappointing to see this actress who has experience doing action movies. Has experience being leading a leading lady. Someone who can carry a movie. And just basically be green screened into the Taskmaster suit for two scenes. Like she was literally in two scenes. Uh, and there's been some stuff that's come out this week about like it, the entire movie Taskmaster is played by a dude. Like the stuntman was a man. It was a stuntman for Taskmaster. And they just had Olga come in and do a green screen recording and they just kind of green screened her into the movie, which is very lazy and like, come on now. <laughs> you already have a dude in the costume who looks pretty good. Like he looks like he could be a solid ta uh, Tony masters. So why not just use him? But it was just like, they took a character that could have easily been just this really suave uh, villain, someone who could have, either been probably not a main bad guy for an Avengers movie at this point, but someone who could easily serve as a secondary antagonist for a fate, like for phase four or something like that. Taking that level of a character, someone with a, such a cool character design, 
and turning him into a mute uh, ghost, I guess. Coming back to haunt Natasha and then just kind of going, oh, I guess I forgive you for basically almost killing me. <laughs> uh, she doesn't say a single line in the movie. The costume looks like uh, a Power Rangers, like a rejected Power Rangers villain. <laughs> uh, it just looked goofy. People kept calling uh, Taskmaster Skeletor, but when I was watching it, I'm just like, this is... Oh, who's that character? Thing like Lord Zorg or something? I don't watch Power Rangers, but uh, I think it starts with a Z. He's like one of the major antagonists in Power Rangers. That's what he looked like, Taskmaster looked like to me, except like a discount version, and it was a work a costume they workshopped and rejected early in, in production for whenever Power Rangers came out. So Taskmaster just didn't work for me. I would honestly, I didn't emotionally buy into her story because... You didn't know who this person was until the very end. It's kind of the Disney the Disney trademark twist villain of, oh, this person's the villain. Now you have to completely 100% buy into who, who their motivations or whatever. But this movie is just... Taskmaster is just a brainwashed girl who Natasha almost killed. And they don't really take advantage of the emotional toll that would take on Natasha. And they don't take advantage of Taskmaster as a character. Uh, also, the powers Taskmaster has, I think, is a bit lame. Uh, like, in the comics, like I said, it's photographic memory. It's it, He can instantly learn any fighting style uh, just by looking at it. But with Taskmaster in this movie, she just sits in front of a screen or she has this computer visor that just go like points out a couple of stuff and just says, all right, now you can do it. Like, it's analytical, and I it, I think they put something into her, the back of her head, so it downloads that fighting style into her, and it's very Matrix-esque. At least that's kind of what I how I interpreted it is, because you have the POV visor that analyzes Natasha. She's sitting in front of a screen with, like, things going across her visor and then the plugging the thing in the back of her head. It looks very much... Like, they're doing a, a Matrix-type thing where Neo just kind of uh, downloads Kung Fu into his brain, and he's like, whoa, I know Kung Fu. Like, that that's kind of what it felt like to me rather than a, you know, just, oh, I see Black Panther doing his thing. Give me some claws, and I can do that. You know, that seems more cool and more intimidating where it's, he can literally just look at you and go, I know exactly how you fight, and I can uh, I can do it watch you know that seems more intimidating where it's just if he fights black panther once and he goes all right cool puts on some claws and goes let's go again <laughs> you know that that's that's more intimidating of an antagonist to me than someone who just has a computer that downloads crap into their brain and now they can do it um so taskmaster is my biggest negative on the movie because that is our main antagonist and besides the bridge fight she doesn't do anything for me <laughs> which is sad because taskmaster is a really cool antagonist uh even in the spider-man games where literally all he does is send you on fetch quests or you have to do like time trials he's still cooler in that game the costume's much better um but speaking of antagonists Drakov. The, the big bad sucked. 
I get they were doing uh, an allegory for like Harvey Weinstein or some someone like that. Uh, I just don't think he worked because he was only in like maybe a grand total of 30 minutes of the movie at most. He's in the beginning, in the flashback, and then you see him briefly killing one of uh, Yelena's team members. And then he shows up in the end in his freaking flying, his G.I. Joe flying fortress. <laughs> his, his Cobra Commando fortress that flies over the earth. Like, that first off, the flying fortress thing I think was dumb. It was lame. That was, that was some G.I. Joe era crap. Not, no knock on G.I. Joe. It works for G.I. Joe with stuff like that. But with the MCU, it's just really goofy, especially when you're trying to make this spy thriller and the climax of the movie takes place in a fortress floating in the sky it's a little goofy to me but he just kind of sits in a room and taunts natasha does the big reveal and then natasha just breaks her nose because he he emits a pheromone that basically makes it to where anyone who smells it can't hurt him so she breaks her nose and then beats him up and then he escapes and his helicopter blows up because Yelena stalled the engine. And it's just kind of like, if this is going to be your big bad guy, first off, don't kill him off in the middle of the climax. <laughs> you know, the the buildings, the floating structures falling from the sky and they're still trying to fight to survive and they finally make it to the bottom and then there's another fight scene between Natasha and Taskmaster where all she does is her patented little spider grapple and then... Uh, breaks the 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 red vial, the MacGuffin device that they they've been after the whole movie to clear her of her brainwashing, and then the movie ends or the climax ends. I feel like if you're gonna have a bad guy, have at least the main bad guy, have him survive through the end of the climax. I mean, the movie in terms of this plotline feels very similar to Winter Soldier, where yeah. Bucky is the main physical threat, and he's been brainwashed by Pierce. But part of it is you spend the entire movie with Pierce, and you get to know his mindset. And then when the twist comes that he's the bad guy, he's been behind it, you go, that makes sense. You still get more time with him to so he can go, here's my plan. Here's what's motivating me. I'm with Hydra. All that stuff. And at the very least, from what I can remember, at the very least, you still have Bucky versus Cap, which is much more emotionally investing. And then you have Pierce, Natasha, and Nick Fury. So it's two separate conflicts. They're both trying to stop the same thing. Uh, shoot, I'm trying to remember what happens at the end of the movie. But I, I remember... The helicarrier crashes, uh, Bucky saves Cap, I think, and then I think they detain Pierce, if I remember right. They might have, Nick Fury might have shot him, but what works about that is that it's two separate conflicts because Pierce is more of the enemy for Nick Fury and Natasha because he has more of an an emotional connection to them than he does Captain America, but Steve has more of a connection to Bucky. But with this movie, it was, Natasha has more of an emotional connection to Drakeoff and not really Taskmaster. I guess you can say she with with Taskmaster like, "Oh, I have guilt because I thought I killed you." But 
you know, she doesn't have a relationship with her. It's just kind of guilt. And that fight gets resolved really quickly. <laughs> so it's just... Both of them, I think, will go... Well, Dracoff will go down as one of the most unremarkable, unmemorable villains in the MCU, I think. Uh, and I think Taskmaster will go down as one of the biggest disappointments. People are comparing it to the Mandarin stuff. I agree. Uh, but I think... At the very least, with the Mandarin, Ben Kingsley sells it. He gets to have his fun. He gets to be the intimidating, you know, the you'll never see me coming Mandarin, but also gets to be goofy Trevor Slattery. And then the reveal that, oh, I'm the real Mandarin before just, yeah, that was goofy. But at the very least, Ben Kingsley is a charismatic actor that sells it. With this, it's not, it's not Taskmaster and then goofy taskmaster played by the same person selling the both roles it's intimidating taskmaster that doesn't really do much doesn't really hype themselves up enough and then it's just by the way she's just a mindless drone <laughs> it's just uh it, it, it's very underwhelming i don't think it's well done at all uh i guess i, I want to say this i saw someone say try to make a case that taskmaster worked in this i don't want to name names or whatever and cause drama but i want to say one thing one thing they said was that well at the very least it opens the door for the real taskmaster to come in like they're doing with the mandarin i'm like yeah it's cool they're doing bringing back the real mandarin for uh shang chi and you know we they're kind of retroactively retconning uh who the Mandarin is. Okay, that's cool. That's something good for the fans that kind of just came out of backlash from Iron Man 3. Like, they didn't plan that. They did a bad Mandarin, and then people got pissed off, so they reshot. They, they shot a scene that basically showed Trevor Slattery in prison and someone coming up and saying, oh, the real Mandarin doesn't appreciate what you did. So saying, the real Mandarin's out there, guys. Please don't be mad at us. That doesn't excuse the stupid twist they did in Iron Man 3. That doesn't make the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 work. Just like, oh, well, sure, if Tony Masters shows up in a later installment with a better costume, with his actual abilities, that doesn't make the Taskmaster in this movie good. And I think that's a stupid rationale for, oh, well, this, this, this poorly done villain works. Because there's the possibility that they can fix it in the future. That shouldn't be rationale you have. That that's just a cope. That's you're just excusing poorly made storytelling, poorly made characters because there's the possibility that they may might fix it in the future. That if you apply that same logic to like if someone built me a house and the plumbing sucked, but they said, well, we're we're leaving some piping, some pipes, and some systems out, so we can come back and make it even better or do it properly uh, in a few years. I'm still going to be pissed off because that's not a good house. That's not a good plumbing system. That doesn't, you know, the possibility that someone can come in and fix my plumbing doesn't mean the plumbing now as it is works. No, because the plumbing's broken. That's why they have to come in and fix it and do it properly. <laughs> So if they just did it properly the first time, that would be a lot less wasted time, a lot less wasted money. And it's the same principle here of the villain doesn't work because 
there's the possibility that they might do it properly later. No, they should have done it properly here, so they didn't have to fix it. And that, that that's my whole, like, response to that. Uh, not That support of, oh, well, Taskmaster works. I... I haven't really seen anyone do a good job of saying, oh, well, Taskmaster works, because it's just, at least for me, it, she doesn't. I don't think she works at all. It, besides the fight scenes, besides the bridge fight scene, and kind of the physicality the stuntman brought to it, I just, I don't care about Taskmaster. Taskmaster is a very mid-to-low-tier MCU antagonist, which sucks. Because he should have been, at the very least, a B or A tier. Someone who's physically imposing. Uh, I found out about this, that in the comics, because of his memory, he has to constantly take serums and he uh, to kind of help with this. But every time he learns a new skill set, he loses memories. Which is also really sad. Is good emotional uh, development for him. So why don't we do that? Why don't we do something with that? But we don't. So I just, you know, I, I know I went back to the Taskmaster thing, but I don't like Taskmaster in this movie. Dracoff sucks. Um, let's do some positives. We're an hour, almost an hour 15 into this. Let's do some positives. I, I think Nat uh, Natasha was solid in here. I think she was outshined, outshone in her own movie. But for what she was and in, in the emotional stuff she was going through, I think it works. I think the family died... The family unit works. The family dynamic where they're all sitting at a table arguing, bickering with each other works. But by far, Yelena was the best part of the movie. Florence Pugh, uh, I've been a fan of her since Fighting With My Family. That came out in 2019. I went and saw that in theaters and absolutely loved it. Um, and I think she's a, an amazing actress. I think she does Yelena really well. I love the dry humor. Uh, most of the times I, I laughed or chuckled was with her. I think her character, where she uh, grows up in this family that she thinks is real, but finds out it's fake for uh, this Soviet-era spy mission, and that just completely uproots her life. And now she has to be a brainwashed spy, uh, unable to have kids. I think a lot of that works. Um and I don't mind her coming in to replace Natasha as Black Widow. I know she does it in the comics. I think, if I remember right, she's a more villainous Black Widow. She's like a starts off as like a Black Widow enemy, that then becomes like the Thunderbolts version of Black Widow. Uh, but that could, or maybe the Dark Avengers version. I don't know. But I think in the movie Yelena works. Um, now, in terms of David Harbour and Rachel Wise, I'm I have mixed feelings. I think Red Guardian, the premise of his character works, but I think his turnaround is rushed. Where he viewed his family as a mission. He only wants to relive his glory Soviet era days as the Red Guardian. And I like that. And then he learns that no, I actually love my family. This family's important to me. I love them in my own way. I like the premise. I think that the turnaround is way too quick where it's, oh yeah, no, you were a burden to me, you yada, 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 then, well, actually, I kind of love you. I think the turnaround is a little too quick for my taste. Um, 
I think David Harbour does a fine job. Uh, he's just kind of the bumbling idiot of the group, uh, which is fine, I suppose. Uh, and Rachel Wise, she was okay. I, the character's not particularly memorable. Like Once again, it, it was, oh, well, I saw you as a family, but mission first. We have to pursue the mission. I'm loyal to Dracov. And then just the turnaround in a reveal surprise flashback when they start infiltrating, and it's like, Oh, well, no, no, now I'll help you take this guy down that uh, I'm loyal to. <laughs> it, I think both of their turnarounds are a bit too rushed, in my opinion. Uh, I think both characters are okay. Um, they're never going to be my favorite MCU characters. Um, and I honestly, I think David Harbour and Rachel Wise were a bit wasted in their roles here. I think both of them are good enough actors to where they could have inhabited bigger roles in the MCU in terms of like oh I don't know uh Rachel Wise could have been uh what's her face the uh Lady Hydra or the Vi or Viper Viper who becomes Madam Hydra she could have been that character right she a character that's much more consequential a much bigger role and I know they did it did her sort of on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but that was in a other reality, an artificial reality, like this could have been Madam Hydra, Viper proper. Uh, David Harbour could have easily been the thing. Uh, if, if we wanted to go that direction, he could have been... Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I also have a poster up on my wall, and I'm just looking at all the characters that he could have been. He could have been Doc Samson. Um, he could have been handful of these guys most of these guys are already in the mcu now but i mean he could have been an, a, a really good thing i think uh ben Grimm, the thing i think would have been perfect for david harbour or uh doc samson maybe if a little older role uh characters like that he could have he could have done characters who have a bit more of a presence than the red guardian and lady who used to work for the red room who i think is a villain in the comics but clearly not big enough for me to care about um so i think they were a little wasted in their roles here but for what they do they they do fine um and the arms dealer guy was pointless uh he just kind of shows up and is suddenly a good friend of natasha's even though he's never been mentioned or seen before in any of her appearances so it's just kind of some guy that she has a good relationship with who can get her stuff just to kind of fill in plot holes of, well, how did she get a plane? How did she uh, find a safe house or whatever? He just kind of seems like a superfluous role to where they could have easily explained how Natasha got it otherwise without introducing a new character who just serves zero purpose besides filling in plot holes. Um, and then my final thing is just, this movie came way too late. <laughs> I would have... In a perfect world, in my ideal world, Black Widow would have come out between Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, replacing Captain Marvel and letting Captain Marvel's first appearance be an Endgame, showing up and being like, whoa, who's this person? Like she comes to Earth and appears as, as this mystery superhero that gets people hyped up for her movie that I don't like, but it would have flowed a lot better in my opinion black widow would have come out then and instead of it being 
Well, here's a story where Natasha was uh, just chilling, doing some crap between Civil War and Infinity War. I think it would have been much more interesting if we do either did a Red Room origin story or the Budapest story. Uh, we got a little bit of a tease and a little bit more context, but it would have been so much better if we got basically maybe even a Red Room Natasha story where she goes into the Red Room, uh, gets raised in it, and then finally escapes it, meets Clint, and they go after Drakoff and attack the Red Room, have... Well, maybe even replace Drakeoff with like Taskmaster or, or or a costume big villain, and they, her and Clint team up with Shield to to take this organization down. That would have been much more interesting. You could still have the uh, morally ambiguous decision where she chooses to bomb a building with Drakeoff and his daughter inside of it, uh, and let that wave weigh on her, putting the red on you know the red in her ledger. Uh, I think that would have been a much more interesting movie. And then going into Endgame, you have now the emotional attachment to Natasha. So when she dies in Endgame, and especially when she's fighting with Clint because you just had a movie about her friendship with Clint, that makes it all the more tragic and all the more depressing and sad. And it has that emotional gut punch that I think missed was missing a little bit when I went and saw Endgame first. I think in a perfect world, that's how it should have been. I haven't thought it through perfectly, so I haven't. I don't have like the whole conceptualization of the story. But I think just the Budapest story with her relationship between her and and Clint, and then her making, you know, adding some red to her ledger, becoming aware that what she's doing is wrong, and determining to atone for that. Then going into Endgame, where she's now the full blown Black Widow hero, and and saving the world. And making the ultimate sacrifice would have just felt a lot more like a loss. Would have had that much more of an emotional impact instead of just having Captain Marvel come out then. And then just having a movie come out where she kind of... Where she's just coming off of Civil War, running away from Thaddeus Ross. And the guy who she thought was dead comes back from the dead. Because that pretty much just make, confirms it to me of... He could have just died with the Budapest incident, and we could have just had the Budapest movie. Uh, all in all, it just felt more like a vehicle of, hey guys, this is Yelena. She's going to be in the MCU a bit more. She's going to appear on the Hawkeye Disney Plus show. So when she shows up, you'll know who she is. Uh, she's going to be the new Black Widow. So so yeah, <laughs> this just felt like a Yelena vehicle. It, Clearly, they put more time into the script to focus on Yelena. I think the guy who wrote the script said he uh, he wrote it in 11 days, which I guess is an accomplishment, but also, yikes, dude. I mean, I know I write essays in, like, one afternoon and don't check over them, but still, like, you're writing a over 120-page uh, script. I think the movie ended up being 2 hours, 14 minutes long, so that's about... Uh, on average, it's one page is one minute, I think. So you're going to come up with a 134-page script, write it in 11 days. That seems like a very short turnaround that to then go into production. So that explains why a lot of this crap was rushed or felt rushed to me. That's not an accomplishment, dude. But 
that explains a lot of the issues i think with this if they had another go on of the script to focus more on the rest of the family instead of just here's elena she's funny she has this tragic backstory and now she's going to show up in the hawkeye show it would have been a much better movie i think so yeah overall i just came away not liking this as much i still i still put it on the same level as the incredible hulk which might be blasphemy to some of you i'd give it a six out of ten i just it's very okay mediocre marvel movie and judging by the way i talked about these two incredible hulk i come off of yeah it's got a whole lot of problems but i had a fun time from black to black widow which is yeah there's some stuff that worked but overall just a huge disappointment as of right now incredible hulk I like it more than, than Black Widow, to be honest. Uh, that's going to be blasphemy to some of y'all, because some some people hate The Incredible Hulk. Some people put that as the worst MC movie, and I think it's overhated, but the criticisms are fair. <laughs> uh, at the very least, it's a fun monster movie, and, and it has that kind of grime to it that I, I've kind of started to like a bit more, rather than this clean... Uh, clean basic mcu style that that's kind of happening here um yeah so if you if you guys want to hate me uh feel free to hate me uh but before you want to hate me and before we get done we're gonna go to our last two segments our last two segments that we do every episode of the podcast uh this time we got graphics again, or we got posters. So first, we got the release radar. Uh, the first movie that I would like to bring to your attention. Did you know that Escape Room had a sequel coming out? Probably not, but I have heard Escape Room is not a good movie, but it is one of the best blockbuster horror movies in the recent era of blockbuster horror movies, where you can just watch it, have fun, enjoy the stupidity, and just have a great time with people. And I've heard the same exact thing about this movie. Escape Room 2. Tournament of Champions. Uh, sounds stupid. But in con the concept just sounds like it is just too fun to fail. Uh, I haven't seen the first Escape Room. But I might do a double feature of this. Because it seems like it might be a fun night at the movies. Next, we got Fear Street Part 3 dropping on Netflix. Uh, I've been watching, I've been keeping up with this movie uh, series since it first dropped. The first episode dropped three weeks ago. Um, I think this is just the perfect summer horror franchise that will cleanse our palate while we wait for Stranger Things. Uh, it's just a really solid group of movies. I really enjoyed Part 3. Uh, uh, it, it's basically just nostalgia, like 80s, 90s nostalgia, kind of blending Stranger Things with uh, Scream with a little touch of the witch in this movie. Not quite as intense as the witch, but a little bit of the touch of the witch, a little bit of Friday the 13th, and just kind of blending this all together to create a fun horror experience. Uh, I would highly recommend watching these with friends. Next, we got Pig, which not a lot of people have heard of, uh, but I'm about to go see it in a few hours in theaters. Uh, it stars Nicolas Cage hunting down some people who stole his pig, which sounds amazing. 
However, I would like to add the stipulation of the way I described it, making it sound like it's going to be a Nick Cage movie, like a Willy's Wonderland or Con Air, where Nick Cage is going full Nick Cage. I've heard this movie's a bit slower, uh, so it's not necessarily like Nick Cage meets John Wick. It's a bit more slow, somber, more of a thriller. Um, so if that's your type of thing, go check it out. Uh, yeah, I I'm excited to watch this, to be honest. Next, we got Gunpowder Milkshake. Uh, sorry for the horrible quality of the poster. That's the only poster I could find, but this movie uh, is kind of riding the train of the John Wick stuff. Uh, so if that's what you're into, if you're into John Wick or if you're into like bright colors, uh, this kind of has more of a 50s vibe. I would almost say it's John Wick meets Riverdale. <laughs> um because there's just a strong 50s vibe to it, but it doesn't really confine itself to the 50s settings. There's still modern language, modern weaponry, uh, modern songs, so it's kind of a bit like Riverdale in that aspect. <laughs> Ugh, that sounds awful, but if that's your type of thing, go watch it. For me, personally, uh, it came out Wednesday on Netflix. I didn't quite enjoy it. It started off strong, but slowly lost my interest. Um, so I'm not going to give it a glowing recommendation, but if it seems like it's your thing, go check it out. And finally, <sighs> Space Jam to A New Legacy. This would have been my dream to go watch it as a kid. I've heard rumors about Space Jam 2 way back since I was in 7th grade. That was... Six or seven, no, seven or eight years ago. So I've been looking for this movie for eight years. Space Jam 1 is one of my all-time favorite uh, kids' childhood movies. It's not perfect, but I think it's a little overhated. The, the integration between 2D animation and uh, live-action LeBron, basically just Michael Jordan, but... I think it's a fun time. I think Michael Jordan does his best with what he's doing. So, uh, I was excited for this, but then we had trailers coming out. Uh, it was LeBron James. I, the original rumors were it was going to be Kobe Bryant, which made me more excited. I'm not a fan of LeBron James uh, just as a, a, a basketball player or not really as a person either. <laughs> um He's been he's been saying some whack stuff as of recent, but which has hampered my hype. And then the trailers have come out where you had a granny saying hate is gonna hate while she drinks a martini and uh, some other cringe dialogue. There's a video that was released where Porky Pig raps in it. There's been some clips circulating online where they do a big chungus reference. So yeah, I. I'm not quite excited for this movie anymore. I'm a bit older, and I don't remember Space Jam doing contemporary meme culture. Granted, meme culture wasn't a thing back in the day, but still, just it was a product of its time, but it still feels timeless. This just feels like it's about to be mass marketing for WB with the Iron Giant and Superman and uh, Pennywise being in the background on top of... The hate is gonna hate and and big chungus and all of that uh it just it feels like it's gonna try way too hard to do nothing 
So I'm a little less excited about it. But if you loved Space Jam and if this seems interesting to you, I know there's a lot of LeBron fans out there. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of them. I have, you know, my buddies over at Sports and Donuts, I think half, two of them don't like LeBron. And uh, I know RJ over there really likes LeBron, I think. Um, so if LeBron's your guy, go ahead, check it out. I'm not going to stop you. Have a fun time. If it if it's great, it's great. Uh, two of my friends have already seen it. One of them said, quote, it was interesting, dot, 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 which probably means that we didn't like it quite that much and uh my other buddy said he had a fun time with it he had a blast so you know everything's subjective in terms of your experience so go ahead watch those movies see what you think uh clearly uh two of them i'm not really looking forward well one of them i'm not looking forward to one of them i saw wasn't crazy about one i saw i'm pretty like pretty positive on one that i'm super excited about and then one that is just hey if it's on TV one night and I'm with friends, sure, why not? So check those out. Uh, tell me what you think about those. And finally, my weekly recommendation, I forgot to load up a poster for that, but my weekly recommendation this week is Francis Ha. It uh, came out to 2012, 2013, directed by Noah Baumbach, who directed the fantastic movie Marriage Story, another movie I highly recommend uh, if you want to be depressed about <laughs> relationships but Frances Haw is about this girl named Frances 37 years old or 27 years old trying to figure out her life uh and for whatever reason I just really clicked with this movie I really vibed with this movie Greta Gerwig is the lead role she directed Lady Bird Little Women she does a great job in this role um where it's just she is trying to find an apartment trying to find living situations living quarters while she tries to make advancements in her career, either at the company she works at or pursuing her dreams elsewhere, uh, getting into debt, all that fun stuff. As a 20, uh, as a 20 year old, I don't quite fully identify with that struggle yet, but currently I am trying to find an apartment. Oh, I'm not trying to find one. I, I found an apartment complex, but I'm on their wait list and I have been. So I, I'm, I'm identifying more with the struggles now. And I think it's one of those movies where as you get closer to 27, you more you more and more identify with it. And once you pass 27, you're just like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and maybe even more and more identify with it. So I think it's one of those movies that are, will just become more timeless and more, more getting under your skin and more just, yes, that's me. So I, I highly recommend that. I think well-written. I love the snappy dialogue, the fun editing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a good movie. Highly recommend, uh, go check that out. Tell me what you think. That has been this episode for the Cinema Lounge podcast. My name has been Garrett Inman, your host. Uh, tell me what you think. What do you think about The Incredible Hulk, Black Widow? Do you think I'm spouting off MCU blasphemy by saying I think <laughs> Incredible Hulk is more enjoyable than Black Widow? Or do you agree? Do you agree Black Widow is not as as good as it could have been. Uh, what do you think about some of these new releases? Are you looking forward to any of them? Watch my weekly recommendation. Tell me what you think. If you're watching YouTube, say all that crap in the comments below. Like the video. Press subscribe button. Hit the bell notification. If you're watching on Rumble, uh, hit the Rumble button. Subscribe there. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars there. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, tune in. 
every Monday at 9 a.m. That has been this episode of the Cinema Lounge Podcast. I hope you guys have a great day. I love you all. And remember, if you combine two experimental things, it could be an abomination. Oh my gosh, that was a bad one. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>